0: Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan, right on ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com. Giants reporter, we're double-dipping this week. I'm going to have two episodes of Breaking Big Blue. This one is being taped on Monday morning after the Giants' 24-16 workmanlike win over the Houston Texans. We're going to have a special guest later in the week. So this is going to be the Texans' fallout edition, Right. Just a ho-hum win for the Giants. Right? They they go and they take care of business. The Texans, they're a bad team. They stink. They're one, seven, and one for a reason. Uh, but the fact that the Giants are able to do this at this point, that just shows you where they're at. Like they're they're a good team. You know, they're not a great team. They're not a dominant team, but they're seven and two. They're a good team. This version of the Giants is a good team. They don't have the self-inflicted wounds. They don't make the costly mistakes most of the time. Yeah, in Seattle, they fumbled a couple punts. That killed them. But for the most part, over the nine games under Brian Dable, they do not make the costly mistakes. They ran the ball down the Texans' throats just as we expected, right? Uh, Saquon Barkley, 152 yards rushing, 35 carries. We'll get to that in a minute. But Giants are now 7-2. and two. Think about that for a second. The New York Giants are 7-2. and two. The win total for the season was seven. So they're right at the win total after nine weeks. So they're going to go over the win total. Already beat my prediction. And at this point, not making the playoffs would be a disappointment. There's no way around it. It would be a disappointment. The Giants can realistically go two and six in the final eight and still might make the playoffs. Like if you go nine and eight, it's possible. You go ten and seven, you're pretty much in the playoffs. So three and five. Gets them to the playoffs right now. Mind you, up next, home against the Detroit Lions. Should be another win for the Giants. So 8-2, eight, eight I mean, playoffs. The Giants are the top wildcard team. The Cowboys losing to the Packers. Giants are the top card team right now. If it ends like this, the Giants will play in Tampa Bay in the wild card round. Tampa Bay, mediocre team right now. Yes, they have Tom Brady, but... Not unheard of for them to be able to beat that Tampa Bay team, which is flawed, old, a little bit slow, would be a slog. They'd have a chance. And also, not out of the question, and this is crazy to even think of. Like, I said this yesterday. I still think they'll probably end up 10, 11 wins, but 12 wins is not even off the table. It's not crazy. You're not completely crazy if you say 12 wins now at this point, right? That would be five and three, 12 and five, five and three the rest of the way. Beat Washington twice, beat Detroit, beat Indy, and then win another game along the way. Who do they have? Minnesota, two Eagles. Am I missing one? Might be missing one. You get the point. 12 wins, not crazy. Who would have thought at any point I'd be able to say that? I picked them to be six and 11 this year. They didn't make any moves at the trade deadline because they know the roster's flawed. The Giants know their roster is flawed. They know that ultimately this is not sustainable long term. Yet they just keep winning and winning and winning. The the Texans in that game, by the way, five second half possessions got to the Giants 30 or inside on all five possessions, came away with 10 points. Like that's the way the Giants defense is operating these days. Opportunistic, right? Two of those was two of those was a turnover. Thought there should have been a third. Shane Zimenez hit Davis Mill's arm. Thought it was a fumble, but turned out not to be. Anyway, didn't matter. Giants aren't giving up touchdowns. They're just not. They give up a touchdown. Guess what? Holding penalty. Dexter Lawrence. Wow. Let's talk about Dexter Lawrence for a second. What a game he had. Pass rush win rate of 30.4%. Okay. What does that mean, 30.4%? Well, that's off the charts. Okay. That's basically better than what Aaron Donald averages. You know, Aaron Donald, his pass rush win rate for the season is in the 20-something percent, which is crazy good, by the way. Dexter Lawrence against the Texans was at 30-something percent. He's at 16.6 percent this year. That puts him sixth amongst defensive tackles. Pass rush win rate. He had five quarterback hits. He had a sack. He forced a couple penalties. tackle for loss. Pass defended. I mean, just a beast. Couldn't block. And you're like... How has he become so dominant, right? His pass rush win rate over his first three seasons was 7.5%. So he's almost doubled that this year. How did he make such a big jump in year four? Usually guys don't make that kind of jump in year four. Now, they're using him differently. I think that's big. Probably the biggest thing. They're saying, okay, we're going to line you up over the center most of the time. Most centers aren't very good. Teams would look at the center as a non-premium position. I've spoken to, you know, executive about this all the time. They don't prioritize center. They might need to start prioritizing center a little bit more because the Giants have just basically put Dexter Lawrence over the center and say, do your work. And when a team has a better center, that's okay. We're going to take you in the matchup and put you against the weakest, what we think is the weakest offensive lineman. So they're working matchups for Dexter Lawrence. He's going against the weak guard, right? Whether it's the left guard, right guard, whatever it is that day. I believe it was the right guard of the Texans. Just it was murdering him on the field. Right? I mean, literally just pushing him back deep into the backfield consistently. I mean, it was crazy. Now, the o- the only five players above Dexter Lawrence and pass rush win rate. And remember, Dexter Lawrence is the great the amazing part of this is he wasn't a great pass rusher. That was always a knock on him. Oh, he's an okay pass rusher. He's a push the pocket kind of guy, gets some pressure. Not a great pass rusher for his first three years. Just wasn't. Wasn't really what it was expected of him coming out of college. Just supposed to be, give you something. But again, was a two down guy a bunch. Uh, push the pocket, not exactly win. I mean, now he's become a difference maker. He's behind Chris Jones, Aaron Donald. Chris Jones and Aaron Donald are like next level. So, their plus pass rush win rate is 20 plus percent. Dexter Lawrence is 16 six, which is great. They're both 20 plus percent, like 24 percent. Okay, so they're like off the chart. They're like, they're in a different level than everybody else, pass rush wise. Chris Jones on the Chiefs, Aaron Donald. We know who Aaron Donald is. Malik Collins from the Texans, Javon Hargrave from the Eagles, and Draymond Jones from the Broncos. They're also ahead of Dexter Lawrence, but they're in like the, uh, under 20% range. So he's in that range. So he's like in that second tier right now of interior pass rushers this season. And what a difference it's made. And I wonder if Leonard Williams getting injured kind of helped to a degree to get Dexter Lawrence to that next level. Like now they're they're scheming, it feels like, for Dexter Lawrence first and foremost. I'm not sure that's the way it was to start the season. And I know that's not the way it was under the previous regime, like it was like, okay, Leonard Williams, our money guy. Dexter Lawrence, granted, was younger then and not playing at this level. Leonard Williams, they, just, they were going to pay. He was the big money guy. He had a track record, and he's still a really good player. But right now, it's flipped. Dexter Lawrence is the better player. And Leonard Williams played a really good game again the other day. Also played great in Seattle. So the two of them up there together, really good. And they're playing like a 90-plus percent snap rate, which is a little scary. Long term, but I mean, they're playing that well when they're on the field. Makes the Giants a better team. Now, the defense still not great. Let up the light. They got out game by the Texans, uh, but opportunistic again, red zone, third down dominant. A couple other things coming out of that game. OK, let's talk about Saquon Barkley and the whole future of the Giants and the contract situation. There was a contract that was discussed during the bye week. Brief discussion, you know, they touched base, basically. Never came close to a deal. But what it does show you is that the Giants are willing or want to bring Saquon back, that they're interested in investing in a running back. Now, there's a price for everything. Question is going to be, how far is Joe Shane willing to go? And is he going to be willing to use the franchise tag? I think right now, the more likely scenario, if they use the franchise tag, it would be on Barkley because I'm not sure they really want to invest that much in a running back, right? The Christian McCaffrey numbers uh, $16 million a year. You know, uh, Nick Chubb and, and Derek Henry are in the $12, $12.5 million range. Alvin Kamara is in the $15 million a year range. But remember, the cap keeps going up, so the market goes up. So I'm sure Saquon wants to be the highest paid, running back in the NFL, right? He's going to look at it after this year. Hey, I'm back. Look at the level I play that. There's no running back in the league better than me. Plus, the cap go, keeps going up. You know, now that we're past the, the COVID stage, it's going to jump significantly in the next few years. So he's going to be looking for even more money. Do you pay him? Do you go there? It's going to be tricky. He's their best offensive player by far. We know that. So letting him walk, especially if you're going to win 10, 11 games and make the playoffs, that would be some move. Now, Joe Shane has shown he's willing to make tough moves. But I don't think they're going to do that. He's the face of the franchise. Ownership recognizes that. And most teams don't have that. Think about that for a second. Most teams have the quarterback as the face of their franchise. The face of the Giants franchise is Saquon Barkley. Don't forget that. Like when they go and they go to events or they show up somewhere, the kids are looking for Saquon. People are looking for Saquon before Daniel Jones at this point. That's just the way it is. Name, personality, accomplishments, all factor into it. Saquon's the face of the franchise. So he's not going to take, you know, the super uh, team-friendly deal. He's got, He's going to have some leverage. The big key here is, and this is why I think Joe Shane really wasn't going to make a move. He was just kind of checking in. Same with Daniel Jones. Same holds true. You need to see those two guys stay healthy for 17 games. Saquon hasn't played, you know, been healthy since uh, his rookie year. Daniel Jones has never played a full season. There's still eight games left. Let's see them get through a full season before we're willing to make any commitment to them long term. Now, the franchise tag would be tough to place on Barkley because he obviously would not want that. If you're a running back, you want your money and you want it now and you want it as soon as humanly possible because the risk of injury is great. It is. That's why nobody wants to, a big reason why no one wants to invest in that position. In addition to the fact that it's one of the easiest positions to fill with a, you know, second mid-round draft. I mean, think about the guys I named before. McCaffrey was a first-round pick, but then you got Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara. Nick Chubb was second round. Kamara was third round. Uh, Derrick Henry was not a top five or ten pick. You know, McCaffrey and and Barkley were, but it's easier to find guys at that position. It just is. Look at Damian Pierce on the other side for the Texans. Mid-round pick, I believe third-round pick for the Texans. One of the top runners in the league right now as a rookie. So do you really want to put that long-term investment in? Like what would you want? What would you be willing to give Saquon Barkley? So now Christian McCaffrey got $36 million guaranteed. That's what it's all about. Guaranteed money, right? So the Giants use the franchise tag on Barkley. It's going to be about an. This is an estimate at this point in the twelve and a half million range for one year. Yeah, that's a for the team. That's probably the best way to go. But you want to keep Barkley happy. You're going to have a lot of cap space. It might benefit you long term. Everybody in this situation to find a middle ground. So it's going to take probably thirty plus million dollars guaranteed. You know, essentially, Giants guarantee that over the first two years, let's say it's $36 million that McCaffrey got. It's essentially $18 million over the first two years. But, and that's a lot. I don't know if we really want to go there. That's why this is tricky. So where are you willing to go? And are you willing to use the tag? Big decisions coming up for Joe Shane. Daniel Jones as well. Keeps playing well. Had a really high you know, QB rating in that game. I know they said it was the highest in the NFL this year. I don't, the QB rating's not a good stat. I don't, I don't, it's a, it's a flawed stat. You could dump the ball down, not, you know, just complete short passes, have a couple guys break tackles. It doesn't, it's not a, it's not a good indicator of how a guy played. Now he did play well again, Daniel Jones, really well, really well. I think he was fifth and Q, fourth or QBR this week, which I think is a more accurate stat. It takes into uh, account other situations, the things that are going on around you, you know, uh, where you're throwing the ball. You can't just dump the ball down and complete 20 dump downs uh, for, for 40, you know, 45 yards and get a perfect passer rating. That's, that's lame. We all know that. That's not reality. That doesn't indicate somebody playing well. But Daniel Jones did play well. When they asked him whatever they asked him to do, he did it. Giants didn't have to push the ball down the field. So he didn't push the ball down the field. Got a big play. Darius Slayton actually was a great throw. Daniel Jones falling backwards, basically, at the line of scrimmage, under pressure, third and long, gets it out. From the, to the opposite hash mark, gets it there. Darius Slayton, by the way, almost dropped it. Double caught the ball, which I think actually helped him because then the defender missed him. And then he gets down the sideline touchdown. 50-plus yard touchdown. Only the Giants' third 40-plus yard reception this year. It's in the bottom half of the league. That was It was only like two or three teams that had fewer coming into the game. But Daniel Jones played well. Now, what do you do with him? Keep winning, keep winning, keep winning. It's The more they win, the harder it's getting to be able to move off either of these guys. So the likelihood that both of them back, and I was on a, a podcast with JJ, John Yuskremski, uh, who works for The Ringer, New York, New York, I believe is his podcast. And he asked me, like, what do you think, you know, basically, what do you think the percentage is that both those guys are back now? And they're both over 50 now because you're going to make the playoffs, barring a ridiculous meltdown. They both played well. Now, all, remember, always contingent on them staying healthy. Either one of them gets injured, makes it a lot easier to move away from them. But the more and more you win, the more and more likely it gets that the two of them are back. Both way over 50%. I mean, Saquon's got to be 80%, 90%. I'll put it at 85%. Right, because worst case, you slap the franchise tag on Saquon. So to me, he's at 85%. Jones, probably 65 at this point. There's a couple different scenarios about how this could play out. He could play poorly in big games down the stretch, yada, yada, yada. But he has played well this year. He has, they showed that they can win games with him. What would he look like if they add weapons for him, right? Because the weapons, we know, are insufficient. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Must be 21 plus and present in present select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Isaiah Hodgins, who was claimed off waivers last week, is now is going to be a starting receiver for the Giants. How about that? Right, it's going to be this week probably. Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins, and Wandale Robinson. That's what he's working with. Kenny Galladay. Woo! That predictably, by the way, did not work out. If anybody had these ridiculous hopes, right, that Kenny Galladay was going to come and he was going to be that number one guy or be this big, great contributor, you were delusional. There was nothing from at any point this year that would indicate him coming back from injury would be this great boon for the Giants offense. And I almost feel bad for him at this point. So Kenny Galladay, first first one, I'm not going to call a drop. It was kind of a tough catch. Jones zipped it on the run. Yes, he could have caught it. He got his hands on it. And I'll say, yes, he probably should have caught. It. Not not officially a drop by statistics-wise, but, you know, lay that lay out at least. Give yourself a chance to really catch the ball. Instead, it hits off like the end of his hands. Next one, just flat drops. I mean, five-yard easy pass coming across underneath, dragging underneath. Nobody on him. Straight through his hands. Awful. Gets benched. Doesn't play the second half. Giants say they'd rather have Isaiah Hodginson. Now you could see talking to Kenny Galladay after the game. and This is why I almost feel bad for him, and I know you're going to say, "Come on, he makes a million. You know, you know, making 18 million dollars. You know, every year he's with the Giants." And I get it, but you could see, and he mentioned this. This has been the you know the the hardest time of his professional career because he's not producing. He's always been used to producing, and you could tell it's in his head. The fact that he said that he's basically searching for answers. He doesn't know why, but. He's just unable to produce. And now he's dropping, I mean, like the easiest of easy passes. You know, Kenny Galladay, catching the ball was not his biggest problem, you know, coming to the Giants. right? There was always the separation thing that was questionable. But it's not like he couldn't catch the ball. Now he he can't catch the ball. So to me, that's a mental thing. And does he get another chance? I'd be surprised at this point if he gets another chance. Getting cut, too, you'd be like, just get rid of him, cut him. There's a penalty to cutting Kenny Galladay. That's what's keeping him on the roster. That's the only only reason, in my opinion, with his new regime that he's even on the roster. He would have been cut a long time ago, probably in the the summer or in the summer. Remember, I wrote that he he was running with the stiffness of a mannequin? Yeah. That kind of uh, was a good harbinger of things to come. I mean, he has no explosion. Now he can't catch the ball. So now he's on the bench. Problem is, he's still owed money next year. So if you cut him, that money then accelerates onto the salary cap this year. I think it's $4.5 And And the Giants can't afford that. They're not not healthy enough salary cap-wise to have that money accelerate into this year. So the likelihood is Kenny Galladay's here. He's going to be on the bench as a contingency. And in the meantime, they're going to play anybody that they can find. Isaiah Hodgins, Marcus Johnson, maybe even David again, who by the way was inactive this week. Over Kenny Galladay. This is that one is over. You know, his Giants time is essentially over. He's just gonna be a guy that's playing out the string. It's gonna go down as one of the worst free agent signings in franchise history. No doubt about it. Zero touchdowns. Uh I forget what the guarantee was. 52 million, I believe. 52 million, zero touchdowns for the Giants. That's the likelihood about it. Maybe he squeezes in a touchdown or he, you know, in a specific role they put him in in a red zone package. But I wouldn't bet on that. And it's reached a point where talking to Kenny God, I almost feel sorry. Like the, You could tell the situation is starting to wear on him. He's not producing. And look, as a fan, I get it. You're frustrated. You want to boo. Go ahead. I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying from a human perspective, when you talk to the guy, there, there's a there's some sympathy there because nobody wants to play poorly, right? Nobody goes out there and wants to drop passes and play poorly and, not, and, and get benched and then have to go in and answer questions about, hey, why do you stink right now? Why can't you catch the ball? Think about how uncomfortable that is for anybody. That's going to affect everybody, anybody who's in that situation. Now, the bottom line is he's been bad, putrid, pathetic even. His Giants career has been pathetic. It has. I don't think anyone's going to argue that. And it's not going to turn around. So just got to move on on that one. That's a sunk cost. It's not coming back. It is what it is. He's just going to eat up a roster spot now for the rest of the year. Maybe you could fit him into a red zone package if you're the Giants. Maybe they just have him as a healthy and active. Healthy scratch. I wouldn't rule that out for the rest of the year at this point, but he's still on a 7-2 and team that is going to make the playoffs, barring a ridiculous collapse here. That's where the Giants are at after this Texans win. Detroit Lions on deck. Detroit Lions, who actually had a good win. I believe it was in Chicago, 32-31. The Lions could score some points, so it will be interesting. This is actually the first top 10 passing attack the Giants are going to face this year. Think about that for a second. First top 10 passing attack. They haven't played many of the top passing quarterbacks. They played Lamar, who is a little different, right? He doesn't show up in the uh passing category. Still a great quarterback, obviously. Best quarterback the Giants face this year because Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are broken and he's played, hasn't actually played very well. So, but those are the two quarterbacks, high-end quarterbacks the Giants have faced. Aside from that, Davis Mills, Baker Mayfield. Ryan Tannehill. So it'll be interesting. Lions, flawed, not good, but they bring an element that the Giants haven't seen very often this year. So let's see how they do against them. I'm interested. On to the next one. All right, let's close with a Jordan on the beat here. This is the portion of the podcast where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants, work for ESPN, uh, or cover the NFL in general. First, an update on the uh, kicking situation. So we're at practice on Friday. And Brian Dable obviously knows about mine and Biz's uh, bet of me being able to hit a thirty yard field, he thinks I have no chance. So he comes over and starts. Him and Joe Shane are like talking trash. They think I have no chance to hit a thirty yard field. Goal. So I will prove them wrong as well. Unfortunately, the quad is still not cooperating. Every time I reach or try and uh, even like lightly kick my leg, it I feel a tinge in it in my quad, and I'm still not healthy yet. So I have to get healthy on that one. But that's not where we're going with this. Jordan on the beat. This is going to be about the state of twitter right because a lot of people have asked me like what do you what do you think of this so far like what are you what are you going to do with uh the whole state of twitter and it it really here's where I'm at with twitter right now i'm in a wait and see mode but i do notice this there is a concern for me because there's all these people that have now bought the blue checks and you saw it there was a fake shefter out there who bought a blue check and caught a lot of people and this creates an even bigger problem, a credibility problem for Twitter, and has me a little nervous about this about the direction this is heading. Is that if there's all these phony blue checks giving you phony information? Look, there was already frauds out there giving you information that that wasn't true, or just stealing from other places. And you know, it was it was the wild, West. it's the wild west out there in the first place. Remember the the dude from uh, BT, Bobby Thompson, right? The, imagine the guy all of a sudden has you know, ownership and head coaching all the information on those. And then, you know, doesn't have anything during the season. All of a sudden, none of the uh, big transactions ever, right? So these kind of people are out there. Then trust me, there's a ton of them that end up with blue checks that aren't necessarily people in the know with information, but they have a blue check. So people tend to believe them. Now there's an influx of people with blue tech, uh, blue checks. So there's a verified tab on my mention. So I used to just go to the verified tab mostly. That was mostly where I went to look at stuff. And you see who sort of you know spread your 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 tweets, whether it be news, analysis or opinion. And you can get an idea of kind of where it was going and and uh whether it was big or not if other verified. Now I go to the verified tab and there's just hundreds of people that I have no idea who they are. That just bought a blue check first of all i don't know why you'd waste your money on a blue check but now it creates the problem for the audience on twitter of okay if all these people have blue checks and everybody keeps with blue checks keeps tweeting stuff and half of it is or 75 percent of it ends up being bogus bunk garbage then you're not you're not going to know who the who the real authorities on anything are who are the ones really getting the information and providing you accurate information. Now, nobody's perfect. I get that. You know, everyone's going to make a mistake here or there. But I want want to know that the people I'm getting my information from are right 90, 95, 98, 99% of the time, not 30, 40, 50% of the time. This is opening the door for mass misinformation being spread out there. That's what it is. So I'm a little nervous if this is the way it's going to go long term. So I'm not saying I'm not going to use Twitter. But I I am starting, I think, at least I've told myself, I want to start migrating a little bit more over to Instagram. At Jordan Ron on ESPN, by the way, if you want to follow over there. Just because I don't know about the future of Twitter. If everyone has a blue check, what differentiates the people... That should be verified, that should be taken as as news sources or uh, experts on subjects. What really differentiates them if any Joe Schmo can go and buy a blue check? And this isn't about me, you know, thinking I'm better than other people. It really isn't. And I know some people will say that, oh, you think you're better than no, no. We just need some way to differentiate that the people who are talking to the Giants coach. Or people within the organization, or agents, or executives. I'm talking from a sports football perspective, at least. You know, there's big, there's bigger problems from uh, when, once we get into politics and news because there's a lot of dumb people out there, and they'll believe a lot of stuff. And that's the problem with the internet, really, is that people can go out there and just read whatever they want and believe stuff. And there's so much stuff that that's out there that's not necessarily true. Well. That just became the waters became muddier on Twitter with the blue check situation. That's how I view it. And I'm a little, little concerned about it. So, just in case, just in case Twitter goes up in flames or flops or becomes a place of just a total cesspool, which it kind of was anyway. But if your information just gets lost amidst a bunch of garbage, gonna have to leave the platform or find a different platform. And for now, some degree that's going to be Instagram. So. That's where we stand on that. Keep an eye on it. I'll keep you updated as we move along here. I'm curious what you guys all think about Twitter and the blue checks and and uh where this is where this seems to be heading, but doesn't seem to be heading to a great place. That's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. Guess what? It's a double dip week. Means we're going to be back later this week with an episode with a special guest, which I think which I think is going to be Uh, a pretty good episode. Special guests from within the New York Giants. Hopefully it happens. Tried to make it happen last week. Uh, Didn't for a variety of logistical reasons, but we're going to try again this week. Regardless, we're going to double dip. With that being said, as always, like, subscribe, tell your friends. Breaking Big Blue, best Giants podcast out there because it has the inside information about the team that you cannot get anywhere else. I'm Jordan Ronan. You listen to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time.